um, let's go ahead and get started. And I'm excited about today. Um, we're going to be dealing with some very, very important issues. And um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who regenerated our hearts and illumined our minds and brought us to Christ. Thank you for the spirit who goes on drawing and wooing and teaching. And Father, I pray that that we would correctly understand your word and that we would not only understand it, that we would submit to it. And that it would um, be the mark on our lives that we walk in a manner worthy of our vocation. In Jesus name. Amen. All right. Well, um, I want us to begin in First Timothy, chapter uh, four, verse 12. And um, he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Each one of these characteristics we've already addressed, except for the one dealing with purity and purity may be the most important, especially for for the minister of Christ and especially in light of all that we're seeing today, the immorality that runs rampant and men, uh, some of them goodly men who have fallen. Um, it is it is. Uh, a frightening thing sometimes to be as old as me and to look back on 40 years and see how many men have been brought down by by a lack of purity. And all of us are susceptible to this. All of us. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And it's usually not a fall, gentlemen. It's usually a slide. It begins with something that may almost seem harmless, but eventually it takes more and more and more of you. There is a um, there is I think I think it was C.S. Lewis in one of his books. It ta it's an illustration. It's extremely powerful. It's about a man. You see this, you know, in your mind, you see this large man and he has he's holding on to a chain and on that chain, it goes down to a tiny little sin just almost microscopic, a small sin, and he's holding on. Uh, he's allowed that sin into his life, but he's got it on a chain. But as time goes on, the sin grows stronger and stronger. The man grows smaller and weaker. And eventually it's no longer the man who has a sin on the chain, but sin that has a man on a chain. And uh, we must be very, very careful I will not say that we are worse men than the men of even 300 years ago, because we are all born from the same stock of Adam and it's corrupt. But there is so many opportunities today to uh, to be exposed to things that will do us great damage. And so we need to be careful. So. First of all, he says that we are to be an example of those who believe we've gone through this. It can mean we are to be an example of what a believer is, or it can mean we are to be an example to other believers as a minister and as a leader. 
when when we uh, there's a lot of young men today in the ministry that really you know I'm an elder I'm an elder and they they emphasize elder and authority and um, but authority doesn't come with the name elder and you do not lead uh, simply by I guess using your authority that comes with a name. You, you lead by expounding scripture and you submit to the same scripture that you expound to others and you lead by example. Those are the two ways that you lead. So be very, very careful. This also applies to your home. Uh, your wife is created in the image of God. And when it says that she is your helper, it doesn't mean she's your little helper. The word is used with regard to God very often in Scripture, that he's the helper of Israel, the helper of his people. She's your indispensable partner. That you will never become what you were meant to become apart from her, and you will never be able to accomplish what you were meant to accomplish apart from her. It's the same way with the church. You're not special. There's not this secret information that pertains only to you. You do not have an extraordinary relationship with God that is unknown to the people of God. And so you are to lead by expounding scripture and submitting to the same scripture that you expound and by being an example. And if you are a wise and a good pastor, the people in your church will need you less and less. If they need you more and more, congratulations, you're creating a cult. And so he says that in all these characteristics, he mentions them, speech, conduct, love, faith, and now purity, purity. We live in an immoral world that has just taken a knife and driven it through the heart of purity. Or you could say has just drudged up all the sewer it could find and thrown it upon the heart. And so we must be very, very, very careful. Now this word purity here is used one other time in 1 Timothy. If you look in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So we, we have to, when we look at that and then we come back to chapter four, we must assume that, that he's talking about especially uh, sexual purity, of, of, of being pure. Now, I want us to look, we're going to tarry on this for a moment, but I want us to go to the book of Proverbs for a moment. And I want us to go to chapter six. Look at verse 26. This has particular um, implications for a minister. We're going to see that later on, but I want us to go down through this. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. I have seen men who were honest men, it seems, who have been in the ministry for 20, 25 years, who gained a reputation and fame in the gospel, but because 
of an immoral relationship, whether a physical one or an online one, they, they lost everything. They lost everything. And, and you and I should walk in fear. Not, not merely uh, fear of sinful people or, or fear of the devil, but fear of ourselves. Oh, take heed if you think you stand. Because you are so capable of falling, and so am I. And uh, the older we get, sometimes in some areas, the more foolish we can become. Um, take, take very care also not to boast or to think that this is an area that you do not struggle with. Because if you do not struggle with it, praise God, but what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast? And I, I wouldn't tell my enemy ever that there was a certain area that I didn't have a problem in because that would be the area where he would <laughs> go for attack. And so it says, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? You know, it was said, be sure that know this, your sin will find you out. Uh, you will be burned. And although to some men in their madness, the burning could be worth it, in the end they realize it's not. That it was much more severe than they would have ever imagined. Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Absolutely not. These are rhetorical questions that demand a negative. It says, so is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he has found out, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. So if you steal $10 and you have to give back 70, at least you've made reparations. You've been able to pay back what you took. But here's the problem with adultery and immorality. You can never repay. You can never pay back what you took. You can never heal the hurt you've caused in the person with whom you've committed adultery, possibly their spouse and definitely your own. And for a minister of Christ, you need to understand you can never heal your reputation. Never. Says in verse 32, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. You know, there are people who are afflicted with a mental illness in which they tear at their own body. When we see someone do that, we identify that at least now. Uh, we may not in the future, but at least now we identify that as, as a terrible mental illness. A derangement. Because it's self-destructive. No rational, uh, sentient being is going to try to destroy themselves. But here we're told, you're destroying yourself. And, and you say, why are you saying these things, Brother Paul? So that you will fear? We're not to live in fear. We're to live in a healthy fear. We're told to go back. Uh, and look at, at the Old Testament and the nation of Israel, which was given to us as an example. 
their adulteries, their immoralities, their idolatries and how they were severely judged. And we're to take that to heart and we are to fear. It says in verse 33, wounds and disgrace he will find. So wounds uh, is more in this context dealing with the physical, whether it's a whipping or, or whatever. But then disgrace has to do with reputation. There, there's just no realm or sphere of your existence that will not be severely affected uh, by immorality. By adultery. And then he goes on. And his reproach will not be blotted out. This is why many, many Bible scholars, conservative Bible scholars, believe that a man who commits adultery can never uh, be restored to ministry because he must be above reproach. But it says here his approach will not be blotted out. He will never be above reproach. And, and this is a cause for fear. And, and without a doubt, we are not taught by our culture, our generation, or even by evangelicalism to fear as we ought to fear. You know, we live in a generation where it's like if you fail to do all the work the teacher assigns you at the end of the semester, you feel like you have the right to ask for makeup work. <laughs> well, sometimes there's just no makeup work that you can do. Sometimes there's no way to fix what you've done. There is forgiveness. And there is a renewed relationship with the Lord, but there are consequences to things that can never be erased. You know, you, you, you uh, let me just put this in a neutral context. Um, I grew up around a lot of cowboys and, uh, you know, they're bull riders and bronc riders and bulldoggers and all these types of guys. And, and uh, I can remember old people, always, you know, old cowboys saying, boy, if you keep that up, you won't be walking by the time you're 40. That there are consequences. You know, we see football players who are tremendous athletes and rugby players who by the time they're 40, they can't even stand on their feet because their back, their knees are so destroyed. There are things we can do that we can't fix. And that, that also occurs in the moral realm, in the spiritual realm. And then it says, for jealousy in 34 enrages a man and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied though you give him many gifts. You steal $100 from a man and you're caught and you give back to him 7,000, he could almost be glad you stole from him. I mean, there, there is some reparation. There, there's some way of fixing the problem. But to take another man's wife or daughter, uh, no. Or to take another man's wife, the damage you do to your own wife and family. Um, it's, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to be restored. And so um, I wanted you to see that. Now we can go back to first Timothy, but let me say this. Pure words come from a pure man. The saintliest words spoken in the pulpit are made void by the faulty character of the man when he is outside of the pulpit. So th that's very, very important. 
And you're going to see as you grow older that uh, one of, maybe some of your most severe critics, believe it or not, are going to be your own children. I want you to think about that. Most of the people in the church are not going to live in your home. And you know, children are born legalists. <laughs> uh, not with regard to themselves, but with regard to everyone around them. And, and they're going to see your failures. Now, there are two possibilities as a minister and a father. One is that you become perfect, which is not likely to happen. The second is that you walk before your children humble. And that when you sin, you confess it. That means you speak it out. I have sinned. And because I was impatient with you, that was my sin. Now I ask you, please forgive me. Okay? Because if not, before your children, you're going to appear as a hypocrite. And so humble yourself, because no matter how pure you seek to be, you will not be pure enough for your critics or even your friends. And yet at the same time, you must grow in purity. This is a big issue. A holy man. A holy man. That's not a legalistic man. That's not a joyless man. That's a good one. So. We have finished that and now let's go on to 13 and 14. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now, I want to point out something that I, I feel like is very, very important here. And that is notice that verse 12 in the mystery of mathematics, notice that verse 12 precedes verse 13. <laughs> and what do I mean by that? Uh, you notice that he talks about character before he talks about proclamation. And again, all the proclamation in the world really doesn't matter if you don't have the character. And again, I want to iterate that even though you seek with all your heart to have the character, you are going to fail at times. And at times you're going to have to confess it. A rash statement in the pulpit. A, a lack of patience, so many things. So notice this, that in all things, character precedes proclamation. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, when we went through the different requirements of an overseer, we notice that uh, character ruled the day there. A man must be apt to teach, and I don't want to take anything away from elders and the necessity that they be good teachers and anointed teachers. But uh, character, it rules the day. Now, I want us to go on. He says in verse uh, 13, until I come, Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Give attention means to give heed. Turn, turn the mind to it. Attend to it. Be attentive to the reading of Scripture. Now, be attentive to the public reading of Scripture. And not only that, to exhortation, 
and to teaching. Now, when he says give attention, I think it's very important that if you go over to 1 Timothy 3.8, it says deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine. The word addicted there is the same word that is used with regard to give attention. So imagine a man who just constantly gives attention to wine, that he's a drunkard, that day and night, morning and evening, he is drinking. And if he's not drinking, he's thinking about drinking. That's the idea. But instead of being, you know, uh, intoxicated and filled with, uh, with drink or wine, we are to be, well, uh, full of the word. And if we want to use the word intoxicated in a, in a different way, uh, an intoxicated man is controlled by the drink with which he is intoxicated. You are to be controlled uh, by the thing that you give attention to, and that is the word of God. And, and I want to tell you that the more you give heed to the word of God, there's something more than just natural learning. I think God honors it. That, uh, yes, a man could know grammar and context and, and etymology and, and everything else and study a text and come to some understanding. But a man who literally saturates himself in the word is going to be able to link scripture with scripture and compare spiritual truth with spiritual truth. And he's just going to see things that other men don't see. Not just because he has learned naturally, but I believe that there is a special, well, there's a sense in which God honors men who honor his word. So he says, give attention. Also, I want you to know that in all these cases here, when he says, until I come, give attention, that it is in present tense and, and of course, you know, communicates continuous action. Constantly be giving attention to the things he's going to mention. Constantly give attention to them. Now, uh, before we go on to what those things are, let's just think about this for a moment. I want you to think about yourself first. And I want you to ask yourself, you're in the ministry. And because many churches have not been taught what the pastoral ministry actually is when defined by the simple commands of the New Testament, and many ministers have not, have not gone and just simply pulled out every command and responsibility to, of a minister and laid it out on the table. Because of that, Men are involved in so many nonsensical and I would say useless activities. And I'm not talking about bad men or rebellious men. I'm talking about good men who even maybe have read a lot of books. But I would challenge you to just go into the New Testament and write out every teaching uh, every command, every directive, every example of what a pastor is supposed to do. And I think you find that it is not quite as broad in the activities as you have been led to believe. What would happen 
if the church was so ordered that the man of God who was in the pulpit every Sunday could spend eight hours a day in simply the study of scripture and prayer, what would happen in our churches? What would happen if we, if we learned to exalt the office of deacon and we actually taught what that office is and how exalted it is, but trained men, capable men to take over that office? What would the pulpit look like? What would the pastoral ministry look like? And I, I want you to think about this. You know, um, Isn't it amazing when I talk this way, people automatically go, well, what about all the other stuff? But when we see ministers constantly run ragged by doing all the other stuff, very rarely do we hear, what about the ministry of the word of God? There are some men that I could mention by name that you would know that have been extraordinarily effective over their lifetime. And I would say that one of the reasons they did it or how they did it was in some ways offensive to other people. They came to believe that the best thing they could do would be to be shut up to the word of God in prayer and then to come out on Sundays and Wednesdays and proclaim truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of them were known as men who didn't have that much of a personality or they weren't, you know, gregarious or friendly types. But oh, how has God blessed their ministry? Because they're shut up to the word. And I want to encourage you. You know, I feel like I could have a ministry of just traveling around the world and teaching churches about what their pastors ought to be doing. Because sometimes when a pastor gets up to do it, he feels guilty. Because what he'll find out is the very things he ought to be doing is the things he would delight in doing and almost feel guilty doing because he enjoys it so much. And so he says, give attention to these things and we can translate it as constantly, continuously, without, cease, without ceasing, give attention to these things. And these things are, of course, reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. And so we're going to uh, draw this session to a close and then uh, and we'll come back and we'll address those three matters. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would use your word in the life of your men. And oh God, help their churches to understand what is the true ministry of an elder? What is the true ministry of a deacon? Oh, God, help us to order things in such a way that your men not, not be neglectful of the word of God. In Jesus name.